0: The scripture for today comes from Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord.:
1: Well, good morning, everyone. How are we this morning? So nice to see you all. Uh, my name is Jeff. I get to serve on staff here at the church, and I am thankful that you're here. If this is your first time, um, welcome. I'm, uh, I'm grateful you joined us this morning now. We're in a series where we're looking at the the book of Philippians. If this is new to you, Philippians is a short little letter written by a guy named Paul in what's called the New Testament. And he wrote many letters. But Philippians is written to a small church, a new church in a town called Philippi. Now, I can guarantee as we read that scripture, there was one verse that immediately jumped out at you and you went, "Ugh." right? In fact, we're going to read this verse together again. And I know what the verse is. Let's put it up there. It is, nope. (laughs) Philippians, I'll read it for you. Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. How many people have ever had that verse used against them in any way, maybe by a parent, a teacher. Hey, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Now, quick parenting tip. This is not part of the sermon. Parents, don't use that verse against your kids. It's not fair. We're gonna talk about why in a second. But I wanted to bring this verse up because it's one of those verses that you hear it and you immediately go, oh, it feels a little abrasive. And if we don't talk about the context of these verses, if we don't look about at why Paul said this, what does this mean in light of our faith, if we just pull it out of thin air, if we open our Bible, if we write it on a card, if we leave it as a note, uh, you know, in our kids' rooms being like, this is what the Bible says, it just sounds like self-help, doesn't it? It sounds like, here's what you need to do. In fact, I kind of imagine, if Paul said, you know what, this Christianity thing is probably going to lead to my death, which it did. Instead, I'd like to write a couple of self-help books. I want a big Roman house. I want the Roman pools. I want to eat grapes that are fed to me. So instead, I'm going to write self-help books. I think Paul could have written these books. I'm going to give you three of them, right? Using this verse as his launching point, learn how to live a life without arguing by Paul of Tarsus. Secondly, grumbling and arguing got you down. Follow these 10 steps to never grumble or argue again. And the third one, self-help book by Paul. Be the best you, positive, fun, and carefree. Learn how to avoid those who grumble and argue. And then I'm going to throw in a bonus YouTube clip, right? What the most successful people in the world do each morning to eliminate grumbling and arguing from their day. Now, if that pops up on my YouTube feed and it's under five minutes, there's a 100% chance I'm, I'm watching it immediately. Self-help. But Paul didn't write this as a source of self-help. But you know what else it sounds like? And this is a little bit more sober. It sounds like religion, doesn't it? It sounds like the do's and the don'ts. It feels fairly callous and cold. It feels like something that will go, yes, I, sh- I will not grumble or argue again and then ultimately what happens we fail and then we feel like a failure that's why parents we should not use this against our kids because it'll make them feel the same way that it makes us so what is Paul trying to say here with this verse why is this thing highlighted why does he use grumbling and arguing in such a provocative way it's such a clear way in these verses Well, we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about what this can mean for us as a church. Now, last week, Jonathan introduced a pretty important theological term, the Incarnation. Do you remember that? How Jesus came down to become human. He humbled himself and he joined us on earth. That's called the Incarnation. And we read that in that beautiful poem in uh, the beginning of Philippians 2. And I want to introduce you this morning to another theological term, one that we can read in several books of the Bible But it may be confusing to you if you're new to Christianity and it's the term sanctification or to be sanctified. Steve Lawson, who's a pastor and theologian, he defines sanctification as this. The divine act of making the believer increasingly holy on a practical level. The divine act of making the believer increasingly holy on a practical level. In other words sanctification is the process of taking a person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus and making this person more like Jesus. Now this is important, I'm gonna say this a couple times. Sanctification does not save us. But sanctification is the process of God moving us down the line to holiness. And sanctification answers some really significant questions in our life. Like after I'm saved, after I become a Christian, what's next? What is happening in my life from the time I start following Jesus until the time I'm with him in death? Is it just a holding pattern? Did he give me a stamped ticket? And he goes, well, hang out for the next 60 years until you meet us, there's nothing more for you to do. Or is there something going on in our mind, our heart and soul as we continue to get to know him? Sanctification, as God makes us more like Jesus, is also the process of him making us more of who we were created to be. It's a beautiful process. It's a beautiful picture of his grace and his love in our lives. And here's my hope and prayer for all of us this morning. For those that have put their faith in Jesus, who would call themselves Christians, that we'd be encouraged in our faith today, regardless of where we're at. Because of the promises of God in the person of Jesus. But I also pray that we'd walk out of here motivated to not stay where we're at. And if you're not a Christian, I pray that you would see a picture of a God who never leaves the side of his kids, who loves them dearly in the ups and the downs of life. So if you're taking notes, we're gonna consider three points today. Point one, it's called work it out. Point two, let it shine. Point three, rejoice. Let's start with point one, work it out. Now Paul in these verses is is gonna give us a pretty clear picture of what sanctification looks like, as well as balancing the unique unique aspect of God's part in it compared to our part in it. Remember, I'm gonna come back to this, sanctification does not save us. Jesus saves us through his death and resurrection from the grave. We are saved by his grace. And I keep saying this because if you miss the point, And you make sanctification justification. Justification is when our sins are forgiven. But if you make sanctification this point, then all of a sudden we have a works-based faith, right? Where you go, I must do more in order to be saved. That is not what sanctification is. Sanctification is the process of doing more to becoming more like Jesus. And we'll talk about what that looks like practically in a second. So Paul writes in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Remember the context here. Paul is writing to this small church in Philippi. He's not writing to his buddies who he watches gladiator games with, he's not writing to his neighbors who come over on Thursday night. He's writing to Christians in this church. This is an important distinction. And he's going to start this section with a a bit of an encouragement. He's encouraging them to continue to to obey as they've always obeyed. And as we dig into this passage and wrestle with some of the difficult parts, it's important to remember that Paul's writing this from a position of love. He's not the dominating parent that's like, you must do this. He loves them. In fact, look at the beginning. He says, what? How does he start it? Therefore, my dear friends... The ESV says this, therefore, my beloved. These are people that mean a great deal to Paul. Then he makes this unusual statement work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Lawson continues, he writes this the mention of salvation in this verse points to their sanctification in daily Christian living. They were not to work for their salvation, works based, but to work out their salvation. They were to work out what God had already worked in. And as you think about yourself and your life and your heart and your attitude and disposition towards God, do you find yourself working out your salvation or do you find yourself working for your salvation? In other words, is the driving force behind your obedience to God guilt or fear of his judgment? Or is it out of a deep love and appreciation for his Grace. It is from his saving grace, from the reality that we were once dead to sin, but we have been made alive to God. That is why we obey. So Paul's writing this to this church, the church as a whole. It's meant to be read as a church as a whole. It's not to be read individually. So he he writes to this church in Philippi with the call to work out your salvation together. To learn what it means to be a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, and to do it together. This is the purpose of the church. This is why we gather, why we commune, why we join community groups, take retreats, study the Bible, do theology. So we were able to work out our salvation together. Helping to answer this question, how do I best live as a Christian in this world? Let me ask this question, how many have joined a fitness group in the last two years? like a group fitness class. Anybody join one of those? Could be CrossFit, F45, Orange Theory. There's one of these called Red Zone, which I thought was a weird. Um, even Peloton in its basic setup, you're kind of joining a group as you're doing the Peloton. But why are all these groups so popular? Because working out is what? It's working out, it's hard, painful, it can be discouraging. Sometimes progress feels stalled or even like you're moving backwards. But to do this as a group provides motivation, support, encouragement, and most importantly, in the midst of struggle, we are are reminded what? This is one of the most important aspects of life is to be reminded that you are not alone. Because the reality is sanctification is hard. It can be discouraging. It can feel like you're spinning your wheels. You can look back and go, Man, what is, ha- I don't feel like I've grown spiritually in the last X amount of years or months or however long that time is. And I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know how you truly feel about God. I don't know how you are pursuing Him. I don't know how this pandemic has affected your relationship with God. But a big misconception when it comes to sanctification is that it is a straight line. Okay, John Piper says this that, discipleship and sanctification is not a straight line to glory. In other words, we become a Christian and we walk straight to God and we've arrived. Piper goes on to say, it's more like a winding road through the mountains. And there are switchbacks. And there are logs and trees that fall in front of us. And sometimes we feel like we're going backwards before we go forwards. That there are seasons in our life when you go like, I don't I can't see where I'm going. But verse 13 is going to key us in to the fact that even if we don't feel like we know where we're going, there's somebody that does. And there's somebody that is continuing to push us to the top of that mountain. And so I hope you have hope as we jump into this next verse. That if you're in a season where you go like, there's a log that's down, there's rocks, Blocking the road, the motor fell out of the car. I don't know where I'm going. It feels hopeless. It is never hopeless with God. Look at 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Tony Merida, who's a pastor and theologian, he wrote this. I thought this was really encouraging. God is at work in us at the deepest levels, God is working in us to bring our salvation to completion. We work because God works. The psalmist says that our dependency on God, says of our dependency on God, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Paul writes of God's working, empowering his working in several places. To the Colossians he writes, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me his strength. To the Corinthians he says, but by God's grace I am what I am and by his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I but God's grace that was with me. In other words, continue to work out your salvation. Work hard, strive together, seek God because God is working in you. He is doing the deep work behind your work. And through you, he will fulfill his good purpose. And you are not alone. You will not fail because he cannot fail. He will see it through. Press on with joy. Author of a book of James in the Bible says this. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this is not a situation of like, well, I'm gonna draw near to God. And now that I've drawn near to God, God's gonna go, okay, I'm gonna draw near to you. Instead, it's read, draw near to God and he will be nearer. To you, As we push into God, we unlock the deeper parts of what God is doing in our heart and in our life. And it's in this reality, in this spirit of togetherness, of working this out, of pushing into who God is that Paul writes in 14, "...do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation." Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Let's move on to point two, let it shine. Here's what Paul is not saying in, this, in verse 14. He is not saying never, never grumble or argue. How do we know this? Well, we can see examples in the Old Testament, specifically the Psalms, where the psalmist cries out to God because of the hardships in his life. Look at Psalm 142, 1 and 2. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. Your emotions are real, and God wants to hear them. Philippians 2.14 is not a suppression of emotion. The call is not for you to put up a wall around your heart. So what is Paul getting at? What is he referencing or referring to? Well, he's referring back, to back in Israel's history. For those of you who don't know, they were, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and God rescues them, miraculously rescues them through these miracles. And He takes them into the desert, and He's leading them through the promised land. But it doesn't take long before the Israelites start to grumble, complain, and argue. If you remember the story, God provides water, but the water is a little bitter. Man, this water, I don't like this water. He provides manna. They literally wake up and there is food provided for them. And he, they complain about it. And I was like, that sounds exactly like my kids, right? They wake up, there's food provided, and this is not what I wanted. And they start going, there's, there was meat back in Egypt. Maybe we should go back to Egypt where they were enslaved. And this all culminates In Exodus 32, Moses leaves. He goes up to Mount Sinai to meet with God. that's where he's given the Ten Commandments ultimately. And when he's gone, they make this golden calf, and they start to worship it. It didn't take long for them to not believe or forget to believe in who God is, and they forgot to remember what he had done for them. They had abandoned him in this moment. And Paul is referring back to this. He's actually quoting out of Deuteronomy 32.5 when he says, don't be like the children of God who in a warped and crooked generation, that's verse 15. Be children of God who are blameless and true as you hold on to what? The word of life. I mean, what's the main function of the Bible? Why do we repeatedly teach out of it and encourage you to read it and study it both by yourself and in a group? It's because the Bible tells us about God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then it reminds us of what God has done in our life. It is our anchor to stay rooted to Him and to not stray and worship false idols. Now, as we finish up this point, there's part of me that, from the beginning of studying this has thought this question of like, why is Paul so explicit about grumbling and arguing? Why are these the things he mentions first? Do you think that? You know, There are a lot of vices, there are a lot of sins, there are a lot of ways people go astray. But he seems like he gets through this beautiful passage about the humility of Christ and then he immediately goes into don't grumble or argue. You know, what is going on here? These seem to be fairly Innocent sins, if you think about, like, the level, the degree of sins in this world. But I think Paul knows from Israel's history and from his experience starting all of these different churches um, that nothing will divide and devour a church faster than a church that grumbles, complains, and argues with each other. It's like a poisoned well. I think he knows that if you start here, the end is Not good. But a church that loves each other, pursues one another, is a church that will shine like stars. And a church that shines like stars, especially back then in the agrarian society where the stars would illuminate everything, is a church where people are what? They're drawn to. As you shine like stars, which allows Paul to rejoice. If you're taking notes, our third point is to rejoice and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, running and laboring in vain is not fun. I, uh, I have created a half marathon around the uh north side of lake hodges and two years ago i put on what i call the hodges half it was COVID boredom and like i need to train for something and it was me and my brother-in-law that ran in it there was two of us well the next year there was like 10 kind of through word of mouth and people trust me which was a bad decision and they came in and they joined this race and if you've ever run especially on trails if you do it long enough you start to go man this is a really easy trail to run. It's very obvious which way you turn. There's no way you would think I shouldn't go this direction. So I gave a map and I explained it over a Zoom call and off we go. And let's just say that the Hodges half year two could be best categorized as a half marathon and as, <laughs> as people running in vain, right? There was um, many turns and there are a couple people here that ran that race there were many misturns. One person didn't run the Hodges half. They ran the Hodges 15 miler, which is not good. But you realize the feeling of running in vain, how empty it is. And Paul is going, no, 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 don't do that. Run to Jesus that I might boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain. And he's not boasting out of his own pride. He's boasting because Paul is following who? Paul is following the example that was set down to him from Jesus. Paul's asking the church of Philippi to follow his lead because he's following the lead of the crucified Messiah. Jesus gave everything for those who for those he loved. And it's not a coincidence that this passage on grumbling and arguing comes directly following that beautiful passage in Philippians 2, 6 to 11, which talks about what? Humility. Namely, the humility of Jesus. And there's, there's, there's nothing that combats grumbling and arguing more than humility. In fact, I want to close just this section before we wrap it up in a couple minutes. And I want to read again Philippians 2, 5 to 11. It's maybe the most beautiful passage of Scripture in all of the Bible, and one that I think, I know for me personally, I could read every day. And So as we consider our own hearts, as we think about where our heart's at in terms of our pursuit of God and what he's doing in our life, if we're thinking about our disposition to grumble, complain, and argue, and we listen to Paul go, no, no, don't do that. Run to Jesus. I want to remind us of who Jesus is, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Again, we are together in this. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's beautiful, isn't it? You know, as I've gone through this passage and tried to understand Paul's heart for this message and heart to push us to humility and push us to Jesus and push into Him as God is doing this deep work, I keep thinking back to this church. I don't think it's a coincidence that we're teaching on this, on complaining and arguing and, and humility as we're about to do what? Go through another massive transition back to Design 39. Church planning is hard, as many in here can attest. Each week we unpack a small apartment. Sometimes it feels like a large apartment. We set up. We move locations. If you were here last week, we went to Paris, right? It's an inside joke if you were here last week. But in all seriousness, the established church is much easier to be a part of because it's more stable, and I would love to take a minute, for those of you that maybe don't know, and just brag on this church for for a minute. We are three years old, and Jonathan and I have both experienced such joy, such hard work, such a willingness to jump in, such a flexibility with everybody as we've figured this out, and it has not been perfect because we're not perfect, but I want to, A, thank you, and I want to commend you that I think you are doing a good work here as we see in Philippians 2. An open church that goes, man, we are excited to come to start this new church, to do this work that people may come, would come to hear about Jesus, to be a city on a hill, to shine like stars, not for our glory, but for his glory. A pastor once wrote this, Paul wants the church to be a proclaiming church, not a complaining church. And my prayer with us as a church is that we would go forward, even as we head to design 39 in two weeks, excited to continue to flex, to be humble, to love each other, to seek the good of our brother and sister next to us. Together that we would push forward in this sanctifying process, admitting our faults our sins our struggles as we would grow together and allow God to do the deeper work within us I mean the joy of Christianity and what sets it apart from every religion is that God is doing this deep work so let's continue to press in to him remembering his son and what he did for us on the cross let's uh would you pray with me Father, it's hard to read those words in Philippians too, that you humbled himself, yourself to be nothing really, to come to this world to, to die for our sins, something we don't deserve. But that God has exalted you to the highest place, given you the name that is above every name. I pray as we consider this passage. As we consider our own grumbling and arguing hearts, I know my heart can go there. That we remember the humility of Jesus. That we would love one another with the love that you show us. And that love would be felt way beyond these walls into our workplaces and homes and neighborhoods. And that just this church would shine for your glory alone. That many would come and experience what their heart is after, the questions that their heart is asking, the questions that are on this little card that we are, we're asked to give out today, questions of meaning and purpose and value, but ultimately, questions of identity, who we are in light of God and what he has done for us, that we, through the grace and love of Jesus, may become your sons and daughters. What an amazing and beautiful thing that is. So we We praise Jesus and we pray all of this in his wonderful name, amen.